Hi, this is Marvin Etzioni, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Mr. Andros Jones. Welcome to Radio 8-Ball, give us a shake. We're between networks and we're tempting fate. With Marvin Etzioni putting questions to the songs which we will randomly select here with the help of our friend Synchronicity. And now it's time for Radio 8 Ball, give us a shake. Radio 8 Ball, give us a shake. It's the Radio 8 Ball welcome to radio 8 ball the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions i am your host andras jones and in every show we have eight songs that are the oracle fodder for our musical divinations and in every show those songs are performed by our musical guest and we are joined here in the studio by that musical guest he's a producer he's a songwriter a guy you may know without knowing but now you're going to get to know him really well as the artist marvin etzioni welcome to radio 8 ball marvin thank you very much and you uh you have your own question You've already you've, you've you've got a question for the pop oracle, right? That's right. There. So it's written down here, and that will be revealed at the end of the show. That will be the last question of the show, and will the last song on the board will be the answer to it. Now you have eight songs as well, correct? Correct. And now, would you mind playing some chords, and I can just read what those songs are and the numbers next to them. Song number one, We Belong in America. Song number two, What's the Mood of the Country Now? Song number three, The Grapes of Wrath. Song number four, Trouble Holding Back. Song number five, The Last Weapon Left is the Heart. Song number six, Can't Cry Hard Enough. Song number seven, The Arms Race. And song number eight, You Are the Light. And those will be the oracle fodder for our musical divinations. And that is the process of asking a question, picking a song at random, and then interpreting it like it's a musical tarot card or some other form of divination. And fans of the show will know that every show starts with my question for the pop oracle. And my question, uh, well, it requires some context. First of all, I should let all the listeners know that uh, some things have changed since the last time you heard from us, that was in mid-December. We recorded our last show with Eleni Mandel at Starburns Industries as part of Feral Audio. And in the interim, Feral Audio no longer exists or is about to no longer exist or we're no longer with them. And 
I won't tell much of the story because I don't know much of the story, but I can tell you what's public, which is that our, the, the president or the main guy of Feral Audio, Dustin Marshall, who was a guest on our show back in August, uh, he was accused of some uh, bad behavior, uh, harassment-y kind of stuff. And you can read about it in his posts about it. And uh, he was uh, accused by his ex-girlfriend, Aberdeen Weems, from the band Potty Mouth. And we're going to have her on the show at some time in the future because her band is great. And I just think they're fantastic. And uh, so right now, we think we're going to be with Starburns Industries' new podcast network. But they don't exist yet. And Feral Audio kind of doesn't exist anymore. So this show is happening in this weird limbo, a liminal state between networks. And uh, But it's a daily podcast, so we just got to keep them coming out. And I'm really excited to have Marvin here to play the music. Uh, he provided, uh, hooked me up with this great studio. We're doing it outside of Starburns Industries. And uh, we'll be finding out, probably talking more about this space as we get into the show, because... In synchronicity, it's not just our space in time, but our space in locale that informs these musical divinations. And so I actually welcome being a part of this cultural moment. I mean, we're probably a lot of... I'm not the only person in the entertainment business who is wondering what's going to happen with the company that I work for because the person who's at the top of it just got uh, called out. For some for stuff that's affecting all of the people who work with them, uh, it's interesting. If you followed the show, you know I'd encourage you to go back and listen to Dustin's question because there's a nice little lesson about synchronicity in it. Dustin asked the question, "Would he?" And this was in uh, a show we taped on August 9th. Uh, we asked the question, uh, "He asked, would he survive a nuclear bat blast if it hit L.A.?" And well, the answer is no. <laughs> He did not survive a nuclear blast that hit L.A. Maybe it's not a nuclear blast, but it's like a cellular blast that hit L.A. And uh, I don't mean to laugh at it, other than I think that if, if he was here, I would be la in a way, weird way laughing with him, you know, because I, uh, I think this is what the Pop Oracle does. It answers the question that we should be asking, not always just the question we are asking. You know, it's like a mirror. You ask, how do I look? And then the mirror says, your fly is open. You don't know to ask, is my fly open until you look at the mirror? Um, so, and with that in mind, I have, I was, I, I like to play with the synchronicity of numbers and letters and, uh, and people's initials. And Marvin, your initials are M-E, which I think must make you a fantastic producer because when it's about you, it's about me. And it's been a weird theme of this series of episodes that started with Inara George when our engineer from Starburns Industries, Matt Brousseau, asked, how are you doing to me on the show, which no one ever asks and I don't really want to get into, and it sort of put it on to me. And, uh, and I don't, that's not the reason I do this show is because I like to get it off of me. Even this talking, all this talking that I do at the beginning is kind of just to clear the air of my stuff. So then I can focus the rest of the episode on the people who call in and on you and your music, Marmon. Um, but I am left in this with all these arrows pointing at, okay, well, I guess I'm the one, like the audience, who's on this journey through what's happening with Radio 8 Ball. You, Marvin, you're here for us for, with eight, for eight songs. But then you get to go and do your own thing. 
you get to escape the realm of the pop oracle somewhat. I mean, you'll always be on tape with us, but uh, but I don't. And the listeners, if they are the, to the extent that they exist and are listening, uh, they are following along. And like me, they don't know what's going to happen with Radio 8 Ball and Starburns and Feral Audio and whatever else. Uh, so I guess this is getting to my question. My question is about the liminal space in which I find myself. And maybe if you find yourself out there in a liminal space, and if you don't know what a liminal space, a liminal space is like an elevator or like a foyer, a foyer, foyer, basically a place that you're in between places. You don't stay in an elevator. You get into an elevator and then you get out someplace else. Purgatory. You could say purgatorial, except that that seems pejorative. A liminal space can be a nice place. It's like a waiting room. So while I inhabit this liminal space, and maybe you out there are listening, you find yourself in a liminal space, my question, you see, the, the question that I thought I was going to come in with was where are we going to land? Is what's, How are things going to go? Will Starburns Industries have a very successful podcast network and will we be, be a part of that and how? But I, as I'm talking about it, I think that the better question is how best to inhabit this liminal space in which I find myself. And now, to engage the Pop Oracle on that question, I'm going to spin the Wheel of Eight. Na, 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 Wheel of Eight. Song number five, which is... The last weapon left is the heart. Whew. <laughs> Here we go. There is something still between us. I say it's only distance. Men have fought war with cannon and gun Lovers fight till they see the morning sun And the last weapon left The last weapon left The last weapon left Is the heart Fallen from grace Sinking in the sorrow and joy Of love Against all odds We wake up Still in each other's arms And the last Weapon left, the last weapon left, the last weapon left is the heart. Mm-hmm. 
pride falls away walls fall away tears fall away and the last weapon left the last weapon left the last weapon left is the heart the last weapon left is the heart and that was the last weapon left is the heart from Marvin Etzioni. I'm looking at my list. That was a, a song you co-write with? I co-wrote that with uh, my friend Sam Lorber. And uh, Sammy is living in Nashville, Tennessee. That was the answer to my question. How can I make the best use of this time and this liminal space in which I find myself? And before we get into the interpretation, you want to tell us a little bit about the background of that song, the process whereby... Well, it came to I, exist. Yeah, I I, um, I started the song probably in about 1981 or two. And uh, I had the song with me for many years, and I wanted to take the song to another uh, place. And most of it was written, but I played it for my friend Sam, and we, just, we added um, a bridge, and then we, you know, looked at a couple lyrics together. And um, there was a film that I had seen, uh, uh, and I'm, it'll come to me who the director was, but it was a very old uh, film, and it, uh, when, we, when we went to the theater to watch it, it, it was on a screen, but it didn't take up the whole screen. It, it might have been Napoleon, I'm not sure. And, um, and then at the very end of the movie... Uh, the la- the screens on the left and on the right opened up, and it was just this miraculous effect. Very simple to do, but I'd never seen it done before because on giant screens of modern movies, you don't need to do that. But on smaller screens, they were trying to make the best of having something get miraculous in front of you. And uh, so th- that might have been the inspiration for the song, nothing in particular and uh, in the early 80s, I was um, in a duo with a friend of mine, Tony, and we used to do the early version of the song. We had a duo called The Film, and um, so we used to play that song. It was The concept of the band was a, a two-person band, kind of like uh, Eno meets Dylan or something. You know, mm. he played synths and... So basically, Oh Mercy. What's that? So it's like kind of like Oh Mercy. That's Lanois. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so uh, we we played a couple local gigs, and then I don't know if you remember this, but there was a TV show on cable called uh, New Wave Theater. So we were on that uh, a couple of times as well, and that show was really a predecessor to what became, you know, MTV and music videos. And is he had the, documented the LA scene. Is that the show that Lily Hayden's dad? That's correct. That's David Jove. Yeah, yeah. So I knew David Jove. Uh, Lily's father before many many years before I met Lily. <laughs> ah, wow! Yeah, that's crazy. I remember yeah. uh, him uh, one night outside of Genghis Cohen with him yes. talking to me the way that he could talk at you uh-huh. and just telling me this story. Like I'm the 
I'm the guy who created MTV. Basically. Well, he, and he, he's not too far off. Yeah, actually. yeah. No, I mean, what you were saying, he wasn't, yeah. what you were saying was almost exactly what he what he had said to me. So. That's right. Yeah. That sounds right. So you were on, so the 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 band uh, the, the the band the film was on it, and we played a couple times. And in fact, one of the times that we played, it was a different song, and I had this idea of putting a, a backdrop behind us of a screen, and we would just show uh, videos. But it wasn't videos. It was actually, we actually went to a library and rented, eight, you know, like 16 millimeter camera to show behind us while we were playing. The film. Got right. It. And oh, uh, it was just more abstract imagery while we were playing uh, live. And so that was shot uh, and you could see it behind us. And then uh, I remember David calling. He said because of that, uh, someone had called him to ask him to do a video just like that. And you know, at that time, uh, what became normal was um, uh, years later. But at that at that time, it t- it was a very primitive way to do something that later could be done with other means, technology wise. You know? Multimedia. Yeah, it sounds like the show was a was an example of a liminal space. It was a creative space somewhere between nothing and this massive cultural shifting thing, MTV. And in the middle, there was this space of, of just p- kind of pure creation, right? Well, what, it, what had happened with David uh, uh, and, and the new, new Wave Theater show is that he was one of the few people really documenting what was going on in the L.A. scene in a very pure way. And it didn't matter to him if you had a record out, didn't matter if you were signed. And he took a large space... Um, and he would have a circle of bands just ready to perform. So you'd play and you do one take of a song, you get interviewed, and then you go to the next band. That the uh what's his name? That's in England. The, yeah, the guy in England does that's that. Jules Shear. That's basically yeah. his show. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. So th- this is cut, you know, in early eighties. I know. think it's it may it at that point, is it time that we can start? Do we get? Do we use a word like genius to describe this? When you, when you are, when there's all these things that you're doing from a very pure space, yeah. that ends up influencing that other people who are maybe better at capitalizing ideas mm-hmm. are able to take and then use. Right? Isn't that? I mean, that's Tesla. That's like that's some. That's all the. the I mean, when we apply the word genius. That is what we apply it to, is people who do stuff that nobody else is recognizing or doing at the time. Yeah, Yeah. you know, and and I think what was going on at the time is that there was just a sense of him following his instinct. Yeah. You you know, there's a difference between reacting and just acting. If you're reacting, you're trying to chase chase what's going on. But he was just creating something that to him, this was the most natural thing for him to do. And then he would edit the shows and then they'd air. And um, But I, I think it had an impact probably beyond what can really um, be measured, you know, because uh, the success of a project like that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that it's on ABC, it doesn't right. mean that it's on. It was pre MTV, it was pre cable, it was pre HBO. You know, so things that are normal to us now, this would have fit into our world and our lifestyle very, very easily. But at that time, it really stood out. Like, I, and and that, and I think it's one of the reasons David and I connected very easily. You know, and uh, w- when I played him the first version of the song, which 
you know, like the first verse and the first chorus was like, the song was established. Like when he heard my songs, he, he was one of the very first people in the city to, to acknowledge me as a songwriter. And, and he didn't really care about um, certain trappings, uh, whether, oh, if you're, if you're not punk, then you're not hip, or if you're not playing at this club, then you're not hip, or you're not playing Madame Wong's. You know, he didn't care about that. He just either recognized you and could, I, and could connect to what you were doing, uh, or he didn't. It was as simple as that. And I, I remember before he passed away talking to him, and he was reciting me lyrics from this song you know, on, on his last days. I mean, he remembered like 20, whatever, 30 years later. Wow. He would remember lyrics. And, and th that's what made him tick. You know, I think that he felt that he was uh, providing this service and, and uh, documenting something that might have never been seen or heard w without him there. Wow. That's a crazy, crazy synchronicity because uh, Lily's mom, yes. Lily Hayden's mom, Lotus Weinstock, fulfilled sort of a similar role for me when I first moved out. Wow. Uh, I got to be friends with Lily, and she, uh, I don't know if you remember Josh Claytonfelt from the band School of Fish. Well, it, okay, so just, so, I don't want to interrupt that, but I remember when Josh was working on his last album. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. So when Josh was working on this album, and I want to hear about your story with Lily's mom, but when Josh was working on that record, I was in one studio working, I think, with Jeremy Toback. Josh is in another studio, and he'd come up to me, and we were talking, and he said, you know, I'm really concerned about finishing my record, you know, contracts with the label, and mm -hmm. it's complicated. I said, don't make it complicated. Make it simple. Finish your record. Finish the record you believe in. Thank God you did. And he finished the record. I know. And as soon as he finished the record, he passed away. Yeah, I mean, Josh, Josh and I went to high school together. We moved out, wow. to, out here together. We were in a band called The Boon okay. before School of Fish, before wow. my band, The Previous. And... Uh, and it was like that pure, you know, Lennon McCartney. They get say yeah. they write face to face. Right. Like we lived in a room together wow. for a, for like a year and a half. And, and yeah. so and Lotus uh, Lotus was sort of our was our adopted mom wow. uh, in L.A. And there were times when the city just got to be too much for us, and yeah. she'd be, and we just gotta go to Lotus's, <laughs> gotta go to Lotus's. So it's just wonderful to me that. Uh, that David was a touchstone when you were a young yes. guy coming out to LA. Right. Lotus was a touchstone <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, and they both, you know, we've had Lily on the show. She's a she's a great friend of yeah. of mine, and it's just already the synchronicities are abundant. Well, um, and, and I, you know, I uh, I produced one of her records, and and in fact, we we she Lily. And I wanted to share one other story about Josh, but Lily brought me into a, a, a film, and there's an indie film called Driver X. Did she talk to you about yeah, that? Yeah, she's talked about it on the show, but, yeah. You know, so Lily brought me in, and so now th that film, the, the, you know, it's playing the festivals right now, so she did the score. I've got about a half a dozen songs in the movie. So we have the soundtrack together. That's uh, awesome. You know, so that's another... Somehow, we, Lily and I just keep intertwining in, into each other's lives. And so I was grateful for her to make that introduction to the director. Yeah. Um, who, who I really connected, my friend Henry. And, um, you know, but I was going to mention uh, Josh. So Josh passes away. I get a call from his engineer telling me what happened. 
and we're both kind of in shock in this phone conversation. And I said, you know, I have, I've had this idea for a while, and maybe we could try this idea out with Josh. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, I have this idea called the record theater. And what I want to do is, is let's take a theater and have just an image on the screen of Josh and have people come to the theater and listen to his entire album. That record is so great. Right? Spirit and, Touches Ground. And, Get and it we, if you can find that. it. Yeah, it's really good. It's and amazing. Yeah, it's like somewhere between Donovan and Sly. <laughs> as someone, I'll tell you, as someone, like, I, we grew up writing songs together. We yeah. wrote our first songs together. Wow. And we were in band, you know, so, and for me, like, I, and I wrote with him, and I, know, and I, like, yeah, we're, we're it's like, uh, and that scene in West Side Story where riffs like Tony and me, man, uh-huh. you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like that. And, uh, but I, when you're that close to someone, you're also really critical. Right. You know, we were both really critical of each other. Right. When I heard that record, it was like that a had sad diamond in your diamond in her, your heart. I yeah, think. yeah, diamond in your heart yeah. and building Atlantis mm-hmm. and love, sweet love. I mean, uh, uh, what's the one? Too cool for this world. So many great songs on that record, and it he, finally got released. It did get released on DreamWorks, right? Um, and it's, but it is, it's. I've still, I was thinking about this morning without even knowing you. I was thinking about, <laughs> I still miss him terribly, yeah. terribly. And yeah. very sweet spirit. Oh, yeah, incredible. And yeah. again, some, uh, that was a sweet spirit that I, we went rounds together, yeah. not fighting fist right. fist, but, you know, we were in a band that did the whole cycle of like yep. falling in love and almost getting signed and yep. then breaking up and girlfriends and right. all kinds of everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everything that Hollywood can throw at you, mm-hmm. and and I still mourn his loss. But yeah. that record is uh, an example. And this is okay. We're gonna we gotta get on because we have people who want to be on the show or calling me on my phone. <laughs> but as far as my answer, holy cow, is it off the charts? Is like just let the synchronicity happen in a that's room right. and let right. the you know. That's what I'm saying. Is like Josh. That record exists in a liminal space. Mm-hmm. Is he didn't know. That he was bet- that he was almost between spaces, but he left this testament, like David left what, for us, right. like Lotus has left for us. Yeah. And they leave, uh, and but particularly sticking on Josh, that that record masterpiece is a weird word, but if you follow everything that Josh ever wrote, mm-hmm. he achieved his masterpiece at the end. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the idea that you were uh, an inspiration to him at that time. Is so beautiful to me. Well, you know, I was just trying to, you know, to cut to the heart of it, to cut to the core and say, don't make this complicated, finish your album, do what you love, love what you do, and you're in the middle of something really special. Don't think too much. Just go in the studio and finish it. All this other other stuff, the contracts, the record coming, that's going to work itself out. Yeah. You know? And uh, actually, I I remember years later uh, working with Peter Case, and he was still on Geffen, and we would get together, and I, I'd met Peter. I co-wrote a song with him uh, and Victoria Williams, the single for his first solo album. Um, and The Man with the Blue... The... No, that was his second. Okay. Yeah, the first one was called Peter Case. The song, the single was Old Blue Car. Cool. And it was actually nominated for a Grammy. So Peter was it, it, it had done a few solo albums for Geffen. We got together... And he said, you know, I really want to make a record, but uh, I'm, I'm concerned about my contracts with Geffen. I said, well, what's your dream record? What would you like to do? 
And he goes, you know, I just want to do like a blues country, straight to two track, no overdose, just like the way they used to make records. I said, well, come on over. We've got to, we'll go direct to quarter inch tape. Yeah. And don't think about the contracts. Don't worry. That's going to all fall in, in, into place. Focus on the music. And we did. We made the record and that became uh, Peter Kay's Sings Like Hell. Mm-hmm. And that became his first solo record for Vanguard because by the time we were done, they dropped him. <laughs> he, was right. the, he was off the label. So when I talked to Josh years earlier, it was it was really coming from a very simple, heartfelt place. And what's ironic is that the very first time we did the record theater was at Raleigh Studios, and like a couple hundred people showed up. It was an amazing event. And then uh, we did another one there with a completely different audience for a, a woman I produced, uh, Gray Delisle, and then cut. Uh, you know, decades later, I brought the concept to the Grammy Museum. And since 2014, uh, we've done maybe eight Beatle albums and a tribute to George, uh, George Martin when he passed away. But the very first time that it actually came to life, it was an idea that I've had inside me, you know, was Josh's record. That, uh, and I'll never forget that experience. <laughs> yeah, well, that's beautiful. <laughs> uh, uh yeah, the 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 this the last weapon left is the heart. Well, you just cracked mine open. So. <laughs> I did not <laughs> expect that to come out of the oven like that. Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball on Feral Audio. If you'd like more information about the Pop Oracle, please check out our website at radio8ball.com, where you can find out about upcoming shows, about asking your own question on the podcast, and about our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the Pop Oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed on Radio 8 Ball. I hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. Until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio Just
while the rest of the world was drowning around us. Are we were building a landing?